0: The Mind Vine Podcast, where we challenge the stigma associated with mental illness through conversations about a variety of issues impacting mental health. Here, we bring you news, views, and interviews that intrigue, educate, and celebrate recovery. Leading us on this journey are the hosts of the Mind Vine Podcast, Daryl Mathers and Chris
1: Bovey.
2: Welcome to the Mind Vine Podcast. Uh, my name is Daryl Mathers, my co-host Chris Bovey is. Not participating in the filming this afternoon, um, but we have two great guests, and uh, this is actually the first uh, podcast that we're filming back on site on Ontario Shores, so we're not in a regular studio, and my guests are actually uh, from Ontario Shores, but we're in different areas of the hospital to ensure physical distancing, and then we're keeping uh, ourselves and everyone around us uh, safe, so we're still using Zoom, but uh, where we are, many of us are back on site, and I want to give a big shout out to everybody that was here uh, throughout the pandemic, on site and working uh, remotely, to carry on the business at Ontario Shores. It's uh, certainly a challenging time for the world, uh, but it was, it was in particular, it was a challenging time here. I'm really proud uh, of everyone who rose up or was rising up during the pandemic to provide you know, quality care and and facilitate the operation of the hospital uh, since March. So. It's great to be back uh, on site, even though things are are different and and we're living in protocol and procedural world, it is nice to see familiar faces and uh, and get back to some of our normal business. So today we're going to talk about a few different things related to COVID-19, but in particular the flu season. So we are about to embark on our own influenza campaign here at Ontario Shores and throughout Ontario. And to help us in this conversation, uh, we have a few guests from Ontario Shores. I'd like to welcome as they come on board, we have Anson Kendall from our Infection Control uh, Department here at Ontario Shores. Welcome, Anson. Thank you, Daryl. And we have Dr. Uh, Dave McNeil from our med clinic. Uh, Dr. McNeil, for some of you don't know, our hospital is, is, is full of psychiatrists. Uh, but we don't have... Uh, too many medical doctors, but uh, Dr. McNeil heads that team. Uh, Welcome, Dr. McNeil. Thanks very much, Darrell, for having us. So I was just introing kind of what we're gonna talk about today and um, obviously the last six months, like the rest of the world, we have been uh, embarked on this journey through COVID-19 and trying to get our hands, kind of get our minds around how we're going to operate in this world safely. And we are now into September. We've been on this since March. And maybe I'll start with you, Anson. Like, as an organization, I know you're in touch with the public health unit in Durham and with our provincial partners as well. Um, where are we at uh, at this stage of the COVID-19? Yeah, thanks, Daryl. So what I'll do
1: is I'll start, I guess, really high, uh, I guess, at a global level, and then I'll go down to uh, the Durham region. So as of today, September 23rd, um, our global cases are just over uh, 31 million cases, and that's driven primarily from India, Brazil, Russia, and Colombia. And in terms of global deaths, there's just under a million at about 972,000. Uh, the U.S., Brazil, and India are the top three countries uh, in terms of global deaths. And in Canada right now, we have just over 9,000 deaths, with Quebec, Ontario, and Alberta being the top three leading provinces there. Uh, when we look at North America, uh, the United States just is approaching uh, pretty quickly to 7 million cases, and Canada, on the other hand, has 147,000 cases. Uh, what we're doing, when we look down to Durham region, we have just over 2,000 cases, um, and Pickering, Ajax, and Oshawa seem to be the top three uh, regions in Durham that have the highest cases. So that kind of gives you a, a, um, I guess, a top-down view of what's going on. Um, we are seeing uh, numbers rise as we uh, get back into the fall season and as schools uh, resume. So it'd be interesting to see how the next uh, couple months play going into the holiday season.
2: I was going to, you know, follow that up. You know, whether it's Dr. McNeil or yourself some. Right now we're at a kind of an interesting time in in the world. Um, we are, you know, like I we mentioned, six months into this. In uh, Ontario, cases are starting to rise, and other parts of the country are starting to rise. You're hearing this term COVID fatigue, and that, part of that might have to do with the you know the reopening of, of provinces. But why, when I hear those numbers, especially if I'm a Durham resident, it doesn't sound it sound too bad, right? It doesn't sound like a lot of people when you consider our population. So. Uh, You know, why should residents of Durham Region, of Ontario, or staff, why should they really be concerned about those types of numbers?
0: That's a, that's a great question, uh, Daryl. Uh, we know um, from our experience in March and April and May that, um, uh, that these, uh, these numbers, these case numbers, or the amount of transmission that can occur in, um, uh, in the community and within our institutions and businesses uh, can, um, uh, can exponentially rise. Um, so we've seen just over the last couple of weeks, um, uh, you know, a, a threefold rise in our case counts. And, um, and these things are very, very disturbing to uh, the, um, the epidemiologists that are following. And there's, uh, there's many warning signs now that we may be uh, coming into a second wave. Uh, a second wave that uh, will be complicated by um, also the reopening of the economy, the reopening of schools, and, um, and of course uh, uh, one of the things that we're here to talk about today, which is, uh, which is
1: uh, influenza season.
2: Before we get into, if I could, go, go
1: ahead, Anson. Oh no, I'm just going to add to what Dave was saying. Um, you know, when you look at influenza and you look at the mortality rate of influenza as it's compared to COVID-19, we're seeing that the influenza mortality rate is roughly around one percent, and we've seen uh, COVID-19 mortality rates uh, to be in and around three and four percent. So, with that being said, as a Durham resident and just as a, uh, it's something to be concerned about, definitely.
2: Before we get into, into the flu season and how that factors into all this, people may look at Ontario Shores. Uh, we're not you know, a so-called traditional hospital. We're not a acute care hospital. Um, being a, me- a specialty mental health hospital, we have unique populations, uh, you know, all the way from adolescent uh, to, to geriatrics and forensics and adult psychiatry and, and a bunch of other programs and services that I couldn't possibly name. But we have a wide range of services. So somebody on the outside may look at us and say, "How are? How is a mental health hospital impacted by COVID nineteen more than you know a business?" Like, so maybe give uh, people just a sense of what we've had to do and what our staff have had to do uh, to to keep our patients, and staff, and, and families safe during all this.
1: I can answer that, Daryl. I think that's a really good question. Um, I think when we look at our patient population, it's very difficult to uh, implement infection control measures when our patient population uh, suffers from mental illness. Some of our patients do not know what it means to wash their hands and why, should, why they should wash their hands. Uh, they may not understand the, the need for personal hygiene and, and regular uh, bathing and showering. Also, some of our patients may not understand why it's important to finish a course of antibiotics. So with our patient population, it definitely definitely presents challenges. Also, some of our patients at Ontario Shores live at Ontario Shores, and and this is their home. And with that being said, it's very difficult to put uh, infection control measures in place in somebody's home.
0: Yeah, I'd like to add to that as well, um, Anson. Uh, when you look at our uh, our uh, patient population, it is very diverse, as you mentioned. We do have a very large geriatric um, uh, uh, program with uh, with three uh, large and active geriatric uh, units. Um, we know uh, that at the beginning of the pandemic, the, uh, the devastation that was caused in our nursing homes, uh, we've been very fortunate to have zero cases uh, within our hospital and especially zero cases within our geriatric program because of the very, very high mortality rate of this particular virus with, um, with uh, people over 65 uh, or people with um, uh, comorbid uh, medical conditions. Now, Many of our younger patients here in the hospital um, uh, do have um, uh, medical comorbidities. In fact, when you look at um, uh, people with mental illness, uh, we have um, uh, diabetes rates that are approximately uh, three to four times that of the general population. We run about 20% of our population has diabetes. Uh, We have uh, uh, very high rates of heart disease and pulmonary disease. Uh, uh, If you have a psychosis, your chance of being a smoker is about 80%. So uh, that's compared to 15% of the general population. So we have a very at-risk population, and one that we've, uh, you know, we've taken uh, a, a lot of uh, a lot of effort and a lot of thought into protecting, you know, our patients and our staff uh, from uh, from the uh, the COVID-19 virus.
2: So moving into you know influenza, uh, which I know on Ontario shores and hospitals across. World, you know, it's always a point of emphasis every calendar year when we get into those colder months, heading into winter, and you know, we have our own campaigns. We'll talk a bit about ours in a a bit. Uh, I know the province just announced the other day their largest uh, order of uh, vaccines for influenza, largest campaign in its history. Um, So while we're waiting for this magical COVID-19 vaccine, um, which you know, who knows, you know, when and if. We'll see that. Why is an influenza vaccine? Why is getting immunized at this time in our history so important? Um, yeah, I'll take yeah, that there. Okay. Okay. Oh, go ahead, Dave. Go I'll ahead. Go
0: right
2: ahead, Andrew. Go right ahead.
0: You go. Um, I-
1: Okay, I was going to say that uh, I think it's very important because uh, both influenza, between influenza and COVID-19, uh, they're both symptomatically indistinguishable. So without a laboratory confirmed test, uh, you wouldn't know or the patient wouldn't know uh, if they have COVID-19 or if they have uh, influenza. Um, also, with a influenza vaccine, um, the vaccine would mitigate the chance of severe complications of both COVID-19 and influenza. So we may touch about this uh, uh, later or throughout this talk, but there is a possibility of a co-infection with both uh, influenza and COVID nineteen. David, anything yeah, yeah, to the, add to that?
0: Yeah, Anson, that's a great point. Um, it, it just as a clinician, uh, if I'm called to see somebody with a cough and a fever, or um, uh, or fatigue and conjunctivitis, you know, it, it, I mean, it's it's a very difficult um, when you see folks, uh, you know, that are that are febrile with uh, with respiratory illness. Um, uh, to, uh, to try to determine, uh, you know, what exactly you're dealing with. Are you dealing with a common cold? Are you dealing with COVID-19? Are you dealing with influenza? Um, and, uh, and we're going to be going to a what we call a multiplex swabbing because we're going to have to rule out COVID with every single one of these cases. Uh, and the multiplex swabbing will allow us to um, also uh, 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 isolate um, the various strains of uh, influenza A and B. So, um, uh, so it's going to be very complicated for patients or staff who develop these symptoms, because they will immediately be placed in uh, in isolation, uh, uh, either from work, a home isolation, if you're a staff, or uh, if you're uh, if you're an inpatient in the hospital into uh, into uh, contact droplet isolation um, until COVID can be uh, can be ruled out.
1: Uh, in addition to Dave, uh, what Dave's saying, uh, vaccination will also help to not overwhelm the healthcare system uh, with influenza hospitalizations. So that's another, I guess, benefit of, of uh, influenza vaccine.
2: And, and to break it out that's even also- further, sorry, I was just gonna say, to break it out even further, you know, Dr. McNeil mentioned you know, the impact it has on staff in terms of isolation if they develop symptoms like, you know, until they're ruled uh, not to be COVID-19 and the implications of that. But that could be said for a multitude of workplaces uh, and in schools right. as they're reopening uh, for, you know, for people that you know, want to be able to uh, go to work day in, day out and, and provide a living. Uh, having an, your, your immunization may help in terms of that isolation period or not having to experience that. Yeah,
0: I think prevention is the key, Daryl. You know, um, the the best thing we can do is not to ever develop these symptoms. And we know that we have a safe and effective uh, influenza vaccination. So if we can prevent uh, influenza infection, uh, then then we're just uh, we're, we're one step ahead we never have to deal with this with a, with uh, with uh, diagnosing the symptoms and, and the isolation and all the complicated things that occur after you develop those symptoms prevention is always the key and um, so and by prevention uh, you know the uh, uh, the vaccination is very important but also hand hygiene social distancing avoiding large gatherings wearing your mask appropriately, you know, these are all things that we uh, we like to really drive home during influenza season and uh, and even more so this year because we've got this other deadly virus in play. And, um, uh, and you know, we, we, we have to look at uh, vaccination as, a, as one part of, of the uh, solution, but uh, a very important part and one that we have total
2: control over as well. Every year around, you know, flu season, there are kind of camps of uh, people's perspectives on being vaccinated. You know, I'm, not t- I'm not necessarily talking about anti-vaxxers, which is another con- conversation, but people who, uh, for whatever reason, whether it's personal beliefs or myths, uh, choose not to get the vaccine. And so I wonder, you know, given you're both uh, obviously pro-vaccine and, and, and very passionate about it, what do you say to people that may, you know, may have had some apathy in this area before? Uh, so one of the analogies that I
1: like to use, Daryl, um is when people say, you know, I don't get the vaccine because I don't get sick. And one thing, sometimes I say, you know, well, that means you don't wear a seatbelt because you're not going to get, in, you don't get into accidents. And the thing is, we don't necessarily know when you're going to be exposed to the influenza virus. Uh, you know, you could be pumping gas, you could be at the bank, you can be here at work, and the opportunity exists for you to uh, to to have that virus, right? So I think what we try to say is, you don't, know, because you don't know, and going to what Dave said earlier, we want to be able to provide Prevent this from happening, and uh, the vaccine helps with that prevention.
0: Yeah, as well. One thing I hear uh, all the time is, "Oh, I got the vaccination last year, and and then I and I got the flu." In other words, either either thinking that the vaccination itself gave you the flu. Um, or that, uh, uh, or, or or that you know you're not 100 percent covered. So that's uh, partially right and partially wrong. The um, uh, the vaccination cannot give you the flu. It's uh, it's scientifically impossible for that to occur. Um, the uh, uh, the the vaccination itself is made of, uh, uh, of what we call attenuated virus. It's not live virus, and and it can't uh, right. cause the flu. Um, the, uh, the the fact that you can get mild cases of influenza. Uh, after, uh, if you've been vaccinated, um, you know that is true. The 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 uh, the vaccination itself is not 100%. It usually runs in a, in the 70 to 80% um, uh, uh, efficacy rate as far as uh, protecting you from the flu. Um, however, you know the, if you do contract influenza and you're vaccinated, your your risk um, of having a, a, a longer course or more transmission to your, to your family and your patients um, uh, or, uh, or worse symptoms um, is, uh, is lessened uh, quite a bit. So, um, so the vaccination itself does boost your immunity. It does uh, um, uh, help protect you from the flu, even if you do catch a very mild uh, case of influenza.
2: So somebody that uh, may have received the flu shot and is not feeling well after, they may, they may say that they got the flu from it, but what are they actually experiencing? Is it a side effect, is it a just a reaction? Like, because it does happen, people do get the flu shot, like, from my experience, and maybe not feel great after. Uh, not necessarily did they get the flu, but something happened there. So what are some explanations for, for that experience?
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question, Daryl. That's a great question. And um, with any vaccination, be it the, be it the, uh, the influenza uh, vaccination or, um, it, you know, if you get a, uh, a tetanus diphtheria or any, any uh, vaccination, you can uh, develop a little bit of an immune response. That's the idea of the vaccination itself. Mm-hmm. Is that it stimulates your immune system to develop antibodies against uh, against the virus, and that stimulation of your immune system um, can actually make you feel a little bit uh, uh, a little bit sick or, or a little bit fatigued, and uh, and it's not uncommon uh, to you know for a day or two uh, to feel um, you know uh, not 100% afterwards because your body is is in the is in the process of um, uh, of uh, of making an immune reaction.
1: And Just to add to what Dave was saying, too, it takes about two weeks for uh, the immune system and the flu shot to actually work. So I think with that being said, and what Dave was saying earlier, in that time, it's not uncommon for you to feel a little bit groggy. Also, there's some sight pain where the needle has been injected into the arm. Um, and some people report, you know, uh, some sight pain about to two days after uh, they receive the vaccine, the vaccine
2: so here here at Ontario shores we're, we're still in September we're approaching you know kind of the start of flu season which you know, maybe unofficially at the first of the month here uh, you know a few days later uh, and we're, we're still to launch our, our kind of theme for the year and we've got kind of to take a bold uh, kind of strategy if you will or statement you know making a bit of a bold statement with our, our campaign slogan which is hashtag zero flu we rely on you and I think the idea being, that we've set out a goal for 100% immunity, which around here, um, you know, um, would surpass, you know, kind of our, our it would surpass any any average year, any uh, any number we would have set out previously. So, I wonder what you guys think of this idea of going, you know, kind of shooting for the stars, if you will, as an organization and messaging to our staff and, and our community that we need everybody on board.
1: I think this year, uh, more than any other year, the mess, that message is actually really important. And I do feel that even though it seemed, it may seem to be a stress target, uh, would we'll be very surprised that a lot of people will be getting their, their vaccine, uh, just because of, uh, the possibility, like I had mentioned earlier, of co-infection with, uh, COVID-19. And also, um, because we don't know how severe the influenza season will be, um, In addition to some of the other infection control measures, vaccination will play a a very key role, and this should help to reduce the impact of the influenza season. Um, I think this year would be, I think, even though it is a stretch target, like you had mentioned, I think there's a good chance uh, we'll have a high vaccination rate. I don't know, Dave, what do you think?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, Anson. I mean, who would have ever guessed that we would be in lockdown? Um, uh, right. You know, back in back in March and April, um, you know, our entire our, our economy was decimated. Um, our the 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 fabric of our lives completely changed. Um, you know, with the with the uh, the, the onset of the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, this is a very very special year, and it's and it's a and it's a very special year uh, where we are. Uh, you know, we're determined. To, to beat this pandemic um, there 's a huge risk that uh, that 's uh, facing us right now, and that is the intersection of uh, uh, of influenza with covid nineteen and uh, to many of us uh, you know who, uh, and, and all of us have made sacrifices to many of us who have made many many sacrifices over the last six, seven months um, you know We don't want to lose because we failed to vaccinate, or we we failed to um, uh, to continue on with with our infection control processes to avoid getting influenza to to uh, 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 to protect ourselves from both influenza and COVID nineteen. You know, it's it's a huge challenge. It's a it's a huge challenge for all of us. Uh, we have to keep the uh, the hospital ICUs uh, below capacity. In other words, we can't fill up with with uh, influenza season um, as we do every year. Uh, the the ICUs are full of influenza patients. Uh, influenza kills 3,500 Canadians every single year uh, on average. Um, and uh, and what happens when you if, if we have a, a, a strong second wave of COVID-19? And we have a strong uh, um, influenza season. We are going to have overwhelmed hospitals, overwhelmed ICUs, and there's going to be um, uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of people die. And and you know this is something that we can prevent by strong infection control practices and that includes influenza vaccination and when available if we can get covid vaccination that's no time soon but um uh you know the uh uh the vaccination against influenza is just so important this year uh, even compared to other years
2: i think we're you, you kind of touched on it how the fabric of our lives have changed and, you know, I mentioned earlier this COVID fatigue. I think we're all kind of feeling that like, we won't, you know, it's been six plus months. We want our lives back. Uh, at times it feels like we're getting there and then we're in, with this current wave. I mean, it feels like we're in a bit of a, a setback, but getting your vaccination for influenza is something we can all do, you know, to help move this along a little bit further. Is if we're, you know, if we are filling up ICUs, if we're not, uh, Vaccinated and we're exposing more people, potentially this could last longer, could it not?
0: Yep, yeah, no, absolutely. A- absolutely. And, um, uh, you know, uh, we we vaccinate to protect ourselves, but we also vaccinate to protect our families, our children, and our, our elderly parents and in laws. Um, you know, we've, and uh, as healthcare workers, um, you know, we uh, uh we have a huge responsibility to care for our patients and to not expose our patients to um uh to influenza. And um and you know that professional responsibility and that th- that humanistic responsibility, I think, um, you know, should make people who have decided not to vaccinate in the past really think about it and think about it seriously. Uh, you know, w- what we're here to do and um uh and then look at the science and we know we have a safe and effective vaccination and make the right
1: choice. Just to add to what uh, Dr. McNeil just touched on, uh, influenza poses the highest r- risk at the extremes of ages. So those under five and those over uh, 65. And with COVID-19, we we'll have be seeing that it's somewhat spared the pediatric population, not to say that if uh, um, a pediatric patient comes down with some of these symptoms, they do not have COVID, but we're really seeing um, the effects of the COVID nineteen virus in the geriatric population and them most high and those highest at risk. So, therefore, I think with the influenza vaccination, it would help to extreme, it help uh, to vaccine, to um, provide immunity to those at the extremes of ages, the under five and the over sixty
2: five. So, as we wrap this up a little um, in a few minutes for our staff and maybe Anson and, and both you and Dr. McNeil. Uh, where can our staff get the vaccination? Uh, I know we offer in the building, but what are some of the things we're doing, Anson, to uh, make it available to staff and people in the community? Where where do they go uh, to to do their part and get immunized? Yeah,
0: that's a, that's a great question, Daryl, because because things are different in the community right now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, family doctors. Uh, and uh, community-based nurse practitioners, uh, primary care providers um, are not, uh, are, are, are working virtually. And um, so we do have to uh, know where in the community we can get our, uh, our vaccination. It's really straightforward for our, our uh, staff here at Ontario Shores and, and our patients, of course, um, because we have a, a very well uh, uh, laid out um, uh, process for vaccinating our staff. Where there's multiple opportunities to uh, to, uh, uh, to to get the vaccination, um, and uh, so for our staff and, and for our uh, uh, you know for our patients, um, we've been uh, putting together a plan since uh, since the spring actually uh, to be able to roll out in a, in a seamless manner um, uh, 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 various uh, clinics, both on unit and in occupational health, um, to uh, to vaccinate uh, to vaccinate our staff. Uh, now, some people do prefer to go to the community, and we know that you know our pharmacies are uh, are, are very active in um, uh, in uh, influenza vaccination, and and this year will be no different. Um, uh, still, if if your primary care provider is uh, providing um, uh, you know face-to-face visits and and immunization, then certainly to take uh, um, you know uh, take that opportunity if you if uh, that's your choice. Um, the important thing is 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 that we know. Uh, as an organization whether you've been vaccinated or not if you're a staff member so if first pers- if a staff member does uh, decide they want to get vaccinated in the community it's very very important to um, uh, to contact o- occupational health and provide uh, proof of vaccination and um, uh, and uh, uh, allow us to know you know what our actual rates are
1: and to add to what David said also too is we do make it easy for staff to um, let Occupational Health and Safety know if they've been vaccinated elsewhere. We do have an attestation form that uh, is on shoreline and staff could simply fill that out and uh, say so that they got vaccinated and on what day and they will also get a full size chocolate bar as well.
2: Great so for people in the community while well, this I guess they're still sorting out Uh, vaccinations. You can visit publichealthontario.ca I imagine uh, shortly there'll be information as the the province rolls out their influenza campaign. So uh, in closing get your flu shot, help us get rid of this thing as soon as possible so we can get back to living our lives. That's uh, what I'm hoping comes out of this. So thank you both uh, for joining the podcast and, and being part of this discussion. Really appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much for having us, Daryl. Thanks so much. Thank you much. Thank you
1: very much, Daryl. Appreciate it. with